I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalize you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me I'm an education consultant specializing in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Wow, listeners, have I got a guest that you're going to absolutely love knowing and getting to know today. Chris Island or Christopher Island, whatever way he likes to go, he's Chris Island is a creative soul with an amazing number of projects, with an amazing number of outreaches. And I'm sure every bone in his body is just full of creativity. He's such a nice fellow and I'd really want you to get to know him today. So welcome Chris. Um, hope you're feeling well today. I know you're just back from traveling, so you've got no bugs. Thanks for having me. I did actually get a little bit of barley belly, but um, okay. just shaking that off now and I'm back on the coffee. So that's a good sign. Oh, that is a good sign. Well, look, we're talking all about thriving and the Thriving Matters podcast, as you know, listeners, is talking to ordinary guys and gals who are doing extraordinary things in life and work. And we have a treat for you today. Chris Island uses a camera and the magic just happens. So I'm going to get Chris to tell you a little bit about who he is and what he does. So welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm a father. I've got two boys um, who are 12 and 10, Alex and Jonathan, um, and a wife, Erin, and we live in Asquith in Sydney. Um, I'm part of a fairly big family. There's uh, five I've got four other siblings, so mum and dad had five kids to raise. Um, And my wife and I have been together for quite a long time. Um, We got together when we were uh, 17, actually, and now I'm 40. So we've got a long history. You're young and yet, don't you worry, Christopher. Um, Interesting, I'm I'm one of six, so our eldest is six. So it's a sort of a similar size with all the, uh, the nuances around relationship and family order and who's doing what. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing. Now, I really am interested in what it is that gets you out of bed most days and to be able to do what you love to do. So, so tell us a little bit about what puts that smile on your face. Well, it's funny you say what well, gets me out of bed. It's usually people asking me to get up. Um, I'm a <laughs> night person. So one thing about creativity is that when it comes knocking, you sort of just have to go along with it. And, and I get all my ideas from about nine o'clock at night. So uh, not much of a morning person, but uh, I'm definitely motivated. Um, and as the day wears on, I get more and more motivated. So um, I, I suppose what motivates me the most strongly is creating good art. Um, it's really hard to do. So, you know, I'm not going to say that I get up and do it every day. I try, um, but it it provides me with a lot of fuel and inspiration. And when I get that mix right and I create a photographic print that, that I'm particularly proud of, uh, that, that fuels me. Um, but probably more than that, just, just trying to be a good person. 
trying to be a leader of a family, um, trying to be a good dad, um, a, a generous husband, and just an all-around decent person. It's a hard thing to do, and, and it motivates me to try. Well, we are all leaders within our own right, aren't we? Um, tell me a bit about when you actually wanted to pick up a camera. What was it? How did it happen? How long ago was it? Were you just a young Todd or is this something that's happened in your in more your adult years? This is really funny because no one's ever asked me that question. You'd be surprised. Um, here's how it happened. I was walking in the Wadigan Mountains when I was about 19. And at the time I was studying psychology at university um, and a bit bored with it. And I bought this Polaroid camera on impulse and strapped it to a plastic bag and tied it around my belt and went to visit a waterfall um, called Bangalore Falls. And the walk was really steep and, and winding. And I swung around a tree and the bag broke and the camera rolled down the hill and it smashed into a thousand bits. And I felt really stupid. So I vowed to make good on that silly purchase and buy a proper camera, which I did. Um, and then the photography bug, the bug uh, bit me and bit me hard. And I, I remember deciding on, on one particular day that I was no longer going to do psychology um, because I was taking more of an interest in my photography elective, that's what I was going to do. And would you believe about two years ago, I took my kids back to that spot and I was carrying my film Leica and I was, ex I was explaining what happened when I dropped the camera and I slipped on a tree root two years ago and dropped my Leica in the same spot, uh, except it didn't roll down the hill. <laughs> oh, now that is more than a coincidence. Don't There's something think? going on there, yeah. <laughs> There is definitely some something going on there as well. That's super interesting because I'm, you know, I like taking a photograph and I like doing it the best. And I, I haven't gotten to that point of uh, really investing in a pretty good camera. But when others, when I see others work, I think the depth of what you can explore and share in with using a camera is is totally amazing. It's basically a backstage pass to life or a front stage pass. It's an all access pass to life. It's, it's the key. So the camera gives you an excuse to go into experiences, particularly with travel, that you would have no right to otherwise get into. Um, and there are other things. I think being a podcaster, you would get a similar experience. You're getting a front row seat. Um, so I have quite literally been backstage at, uh, you know, I toured with the Birds of Tokyo a couple of years ago and, and shot them all on film. Um, black and white tri-x sort of as a nod back to the 80s um, and the access provided was really a metaphor for photography so my great pleasure is learning about people um, mm. using photography as an excuse so that that kind of I suppose puts me in the discipline of portraiture mm -hmm. um, but I also do still life as well well it really comes down to you being super curious yes um in fact only this morning i was saying to my wife what do you think the number one trait of a successful business operator is and she she waited for 10 seconds we know each other so well and she looked at me and she said curiosity yes and i said yeah i think it is because we were chatting to the guy that owns the cafe and he he was so curious and he was telling us about when he was a barista and for five years, he patiently listened to people talk about their business stories. And now he's opening, um, you know, a restaurant in a Westfield and he's gone from strength to strength. And I asked him a couple of questions there at the table this morning and he said, I'm a very curious person. 
So uh-huh. photography is really about, you know, satisfying that curiosity. Well, it's interesting because I work in the leadership area and you have, I think as a leader for this particular, particularly this time in the world's history, uh, we need to be more and more curious about how we can look differently through different lenses, so to speak. So I'm going to use a, a, a camera metaphor. Um, and I think that's um, that's that's major. Now, Chris, I always ask my guests, um, has there been uh, a significant event in your life, a mentor, a change that happened for you or something that you deliberately have done that now has that now influences how you show up each day? Absolutely. Um, my first mentor was a family friend and remains to this day a very close and dear friend. In fact, I, re- I, I call Craig for Father's Day. He doesn't have kids of his own and he's a wonderful um, fatherly figure and mentor and friend. And when I was, I guess, in the early part of my professional career, um, it was really for five years about survival and trying to get attention from people who had money to pay you jobs. I was specifically an advertising photographer. Um, you kind of looking for this attention and Craig sensed that there was some artistic potential in me that that wasn't really being realized and he said I'm going to burn a sculpture of Ned Kelly and I'd like you to come and and interview me and film it and so I had two young kids at the time and and I and I resigned to doing it because I you know he sort of just insisted and as I interviewed him for this piece we made a what ended up being an eight-minute film and he was, he was just so lovely and inspiring in that film and he talked about making things for the pleasure of making them and that for him, he can destroy the things that he makes because it's the process of making which is really satisfying that creative urge. Um, ironically, now I create prints that are archival for 1,000 years, so I don't destroy the things that I make, but I love the fact that he was prepared to and, in fact, he would burn the outside of his sculptures um, and he exhibits them in galleries charred and and he's interested in fire and he lit a creative fire in me so in terms of mentors um he was definitely one of them the other one um is a professional photographer called gary heary who's still operating um and he's he's an older gentleman now he shot madonna's first album cover um he shot paul simon and art garfunkel prime ministers um supermodels and i was lucky enough to be his assistant um, and for about three or four years, they were the most enjoyable years of my life. He showed me that working could be serious, but it could also be fun. Mm. Um, and he had a wonderful, disarming and charming way of, of, of getting people out of their shell for, for his lens. Um, and Gary remains a, a dear friend also to this day. In terms of sort of events that have shaped me, um, one major one, from 30 to 40, I really kind of became busier and busier. Um, I signed to a really good commercial agency that I'm still with today called The Pool Collective. And the jobs that I w- was working on w- were just becoming enormous. And now some of my clients include Uber, um, the Australian Defence Force, Samsung, uh, Canon, Combank, Optus. Um, I've got some big clients. And I became a bit burnt out sort of through the mid thirties as, as the success of work took off, I was so involved in, in what I thought were quite stressful jobs that I was neglecting balance in life. And my wife experienced a stroke 
and thankfully she recovered from it and, and everything's okay. But we were, we were a bit shaken up there for a little while. At the time, I was in production of a documentary called Salt in the Blood, um, which can be seen on the Canon website. And Salt in the Blood follows Tom Carroll, the world surfing champ. He's got two world surfing championships. And I really felt as I was making that film that my life had taken a change from photography to directing. And I was getting more and more of these directing jobs. And I'm thinking, for heaven's sake, now I'm making a documentary for National Geographic. What am I doing? Like, what, what, what's my career? Where's my career taking me? It's exciting, but it's not where I intended to go. And so during the production of that, my wife experienced the stroke. And it, it really stopped me in my tracks and, and made me rethink, you know, before midlife, we were in our late 30s at that stage, realizing that the family unit was fragile, that the kids were young, and that I needed to think carefully about how I'd use my time. Um, and, and I've emerged from that thinking a little bit more positively about how I want to work, the kind of art that I want to make, and how I want to use my skills. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, um, there's nothing more levelling than having uh, someone very close to you have a significant health issue and the possibility of how that could affect the family unit um, or the relationship that you have, your sense of security. And um, thanks thanks for sharing that. Uh, do you miss, I'm going to just ask you a question here, do you, do you miss doing those documentaries? Yes, I do. Um, it's funny, I feel like commercially, you know, things have become more demanding. So where you used to be given a lot more freedom with paying customers, which is how ideally you want to make a documentary, it, it's expensive to make, so it needs funding. Mm. Um, I, I don't miss that sort of accountability um, through all the various stakeholders. But uh, what I love about a documentary is it's a little bit like a conversation. It goes on a direction. And you don't necessarily know what that direction is. You think in your mind you have a direction. And then as the documentary unfolds, it creates a life and a shape of its own. And it's like life. We have to learn to adjust creatively to those changes rather than force them into our understanding of the way things should be. It's actually more fun to ride the wave and, and see where it takes you. <laughs> um, and and I, in Tom Carroll, I had an amazing subject for that documentary and you know, the first one that I made with um, called The Alchemy of Fire with with Craig, my, my artist friend, who is now a mentor. Um, those documentaries really can show you some surprising things. I do miss that. Mm, because that's a, that's a huge decision, isn't it? When you do really love it, but also have to then weigh up, is this really where I want to go? And then look at your work-life balance. And you've already said one of, you know, your core value was around being a good partner, generous partner, a good dad, a family leader. Um, but you also you also have to put, you know, bread and milo on the table, right? That, that you know, isn't this the hardest thing about the balance? It's <laughs> it's like you can be really fundamental about it. And I tend to do this. I tend to get extreme. So I go, I've got to, I've got to make money now. I've got to put food on the table. No free jobs. No free jobs, no matter what. <laughs> I've got to work. Or, or then I can go... Okay, I've made heaps of money. Now it's now it's uh, who can I help? What cause can I take on? Yeah. And I, I'm getting better at learning that you don't have to be quite so extreme about it. But wow, it's such a hard balance. And trying to be a good person and lead a good life, 
has limits, you know, like in, in terms of generosity. So in the last two or three weeks, I've had to make decisions about, you know, who I'll give my my work to for charity. And I did some portraits for the guide dogs um, because oh. I think that's a cause, you know, a worthy cause. My grandfather was blind and my wife works for them and she remade, but it, but it was a worthy cause. But deciding how to spend your time does need to be balanced with making an income. And it's okay to make money. And, and I sometimes have to remind myself that, you know, try and earn it in the right way and be a decent person, but you do need to make an income or whole thing stops. Chris, putting food on the table is one of those dilemmas, isn't it, when you're balancing uh, your charities, when you're doing work for other people, making sure you can, um, you know, pay for the school fees and, you know, things like uh, some, some new joggers, all those type of things when you've got a new family. It is. It, it, it's um, it's surprisingly difficult to get this balance right. Um, you know, I've got several things that I do um, that I that I do to try and be a better person, and generosity is one of them. But you know, generosity has a limit. And for me, being a photographer is is an act of survival as well as you mm. know being able to thrive. So when things are going well, you're thriving, and and you're actually making a lot of money. And when things aren't going well, you're not making anything at all and, and things ground to a halt. So it, it's kind of, for me, it's like, how do you keep the lights on long enough in the future to feel confident enough today to be generous and charitable with your time? So, you know, if, if I'm only working for money, um, I'll, I'll try and be a good person to the people that I'm dealing with and, and I'll try to align some sense of values with, with the values of the client. Um, and, and if the belly's full and there's lots of work coming in, um, then I go out and do a bit more direct action. Like I do portraits in the Greenway housing building, in the Greenway housing building in Kirribilli, um, or I give a, a talk. I've been giving talks to Rotary groups around North Sydney about that project. Um, or I might even do portraits like I did recently for the guide dogs where um, I'm just giving time for a cause. Oh, look, I was going to ask you, listeners, I've learned that um, Chris has an amazing uh, passion project on social housing that he's just given you a little snapshot into. So I'm going to ask you to um, actually give us a little bit more information because I know there will be a book and hopefully a touring photographic exhibition for that. So tell us a little bit about your passion project. Um, about 10 years ago, I walked past an art stall stand in Kirribilli and it said art price. And I thought, I'm going to enter that. And I used to live in the community. So I went up to, to the stand that was run by the church by the bridge. And I said, who's the oldest person in Kirribilli? And they, point, they pointed at this large 10-story building and they said, Albert Morgan, he's on the 10th floor of that building. He's 103. Would you like an introduction? We know him. I said, please. Thank you. And, you know, there I was using my photography as, as a backstage pass, you know, again in life. Yeah. So um, they led me to the building um, and we went up a lift and 10 flights of stairs, you know, he's up on the 10th floor. I, I meet this Welshman who was incredibly feisty and, and funny and I shot a portrait and it won the art prize. And on the way down, um, you know, having had the introduction, the person making the introduction had left. I actually took the stairs down because I'm a bit scared of lifts. And on the way down, someone said, are you from the Mossman Daily? And I said, no, no, I'm not. 
And then they pointed at the camera and said, does that thing record sound? And and I, I, I'm not sure how much of this story is true now and how much of it I've sort of embellished, but you know, the, the basic gist is I said, well, if it did record sound, what would you say? And 10 years later, I've got 25 stories of exactly what people would say um, during an interview. And um, I've, I've, I've been doing this project now for nearly 5,000 days. So. Oh, wow. That's amazing. That's ab absolutely amazing because there's been, that's the, uh, my memory is that's the block of units that. Yep has been um quite controversial in the, in the media. that's right yeah yeah so um you know something i try and do is empower the people that i'm with and when i went through that building it, it it sort of felt to me like there were disempowered people living in it and i knew this i suppose because across the bridge the serious building had been slated for for, for sort of yeah you know private um, tenancy and, and that the the housing commission members were leaving miller's point on the rocks had also had marching orders so mm -hmm. greenway was next and i felt this responsibility to take the portraits and tell the stories of these wonderful people so that you know we can't be ignorant about displacing these people we know their story first so you know if you're a motorist and you wind down the window and ask somebody if 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 they're okay if they say to you, no, my car's broken down, you can't wind the window up and drive on or you'll feel really, really cruel. And I felt that telling the stories of the residents in the Greenway building empowered them. And in a sense, if, if I could engage those stories with the community, the community can't in their right conscious mind say without due consideration, we need to displace these, these people and, and, and knock down that building. So that, that's sort of where it started. Um, but actually what happened was I got schooled on life um, because I had so many varying perspectives about love and loss and hardship and accomplishment. So um, I owe a lot of, uh, you know, sort of those little life lessons and big life lessons to some of those friendships that I've made during that project. Oh, it's amazing. So your your camera has provided you basically the work you do, the the lenses have provided you with a window to the world, a window to vulnerability, a window to opportunity, a window to change. Absolutely. You know, and on the other side of things, um, you know, I've been in some amazing experiences. I, I got to do um, a 14-day job with the Defence Force um, with, a, with another mentor and friend of mine, Sean Izzard. And we both got the commission together. And I used to work for Sean maybe 15 years ago. So it, it was great being able to do a job alongside him. Mm. And, you know, at one point I was in a French-built helicopter called an MRH-90. It's a carbon fibre defence force helicopter. And, you know, people who know their choppers will know what an MRH is. And I got my own flight. My assistant and I, Ollie, um, we had our own flight around Townsville for about an hour. And oh. I was taking photographs through the cockpit and it was for um, really a brand campaign for the Defence Force. And when the camera landed, I said, how much fuel did you use? And they said, oh, about $75,000 in fuel. Oh. So, um, you know, that, <laughs> I guess that's one of the heights. I've, I've scaled the Harbour Bridge. Um, I've been on the turret of, of army tanks. You know, I've strapped cameras to guns. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've met famous people. I've been backstage at gigs. Um but really my specialty is kind of um, celebrating the normal qualities of, of just otherwise remarkable human beings. Oh. So I've met farmers, um, 
you know, people applying for housing loans, kids, um, old men, you know, the whole thing. And and the camera's really just done that for me. So my son knows my oldest son's going to inherit my Leica when I'm finished with it. And and we've negotiated it happens when he's 30. Um, and I said, well, there's going to be some stories, you know, patinaed into that brass. <laughs> and, and we like to talk about that. It's like a diary. Oh, I just love that. Celebrating ordinary people. Yeah. Who are who are just living as best they can, thriving in life and work. I th- I think We're all trying to. We're all trying to do it. And, and that's the thing I've learned, that everybody has a story to tell. Some are more interesting than others. And, and these are the words from, from Greenway resident Adam West. He said, everyone has a story to tell. Everyone wants to be heard, but some stories are more interesting than others. Yeah. And, and that's that's what I've learned. Yeah. And really, when you look at our family background, our life experience, Often the curiosity that we have is because this is so different to what our experience is or the the environment in which we grew up in or the decisions we are deliberately making to to change some of those aspects or do something differently for our families and our our relationships. Oh, I think it's I, I just hope that we're not losing that curiosity, Carrie, because yeah. we, we now have such um great access to things like information now is not is sort of no longer a barrier Mm. if you want to learn something you can learn it in most cases including photography when I learned photography it was incredibly hard it took five years to learn how to take a good exposure really Mm. with lighting and and some of the complicating factors that you start to bring into it Um, it, we, we sort of now live in the YouTube generation and I often ask my kids not to look something up on YouTube until they've wondered about it first, because I'm I'm sort of mindful that we're losing our curiosity. That we feel that we have answers to everything, and and I fi- I feel that I've witnessed that in terms of my own work. I think my work's getting better and better in terms of photographs and what I'm able to do, but the curiosity about what I'm making, I think over time may may not be necessarily increasing, and and that's a challenge. Mm. I think if you're aware of that, that's that's one of the um, the things that piques even more curiosity or it gives you room for self-reflection on, on keeping yourself honest, yeah? Well, I, again, being a bit fundamental in some aspects, <laughs> I, I began to notice that particularly with digital photographs, because of Instagram, people were no longer recognising or responding to good photography. So I went right back to where it started and Platina Editions is my latest business launch and it's a fine art dedicated practice where I shoot on film on large format cameras meticulously and slowly. Um, I paint emulsions of platinum palladium onto uncoated cotton papers and it's taken me a few years to learn this and I've had to use a lot of history. Um, I recreate photos the way it used to be done, you know, between 1875 and 1925, which in my mind was the absolute pinnacle of elegant printmaking. (laughs) So um, I've learned that and I'm now making work that inspires people and it evokes their curiosity because they haven't seen anything like that on Instagram. Unless they're looking at my Instagram feed and they're probably seeing a lot of it. Oh, and look, you know what? Uh, we will put your your um, references and and links into the show notes here. But listeners, I've just while Chris is talking, I've just popped on to Patina Editions. They are absolutely stunning. You have to see them. Um, and there's nothing like a black and white really to show you the the magic techniques or the genius of a photographer. 
um, I, I believe. So that's very generous of you, Carrie. Thank you. No, I do. I do like. Um, I did dabbled in a little bit of art at, at school, so I do like um, bringing home something that's you know when we travel. I think Chris, you bought, you know, talked about traveling and what taking a camera with you. We, it's it's the experience of being in the moment in in something that's different, a culture that's different, um, you know, with other people, different relationships. And being able to capture a memory from that. And um, if I get goosebumps when I tell a story or when I see something, or I can feel, you know, a real change in my body responses, I just go, wow, this I'm meant to be here. I'm meant to be part of this. This is precious. And I think uh, I don't think I don't think our travel will be curtailed. It's easier to do it these days with some technology, but for me. There is still nothing like getting, basically getting your shoes and socks off and getting your feet in the sand on any continent in any country. It's um, funny you mentioned travel because I'm actually not a particularly travelled photographer. I've been to New Zealand twice and I've been to Indonesia twice, uh -huh. um, you know, both of which for a mix of work and, and holidays. And um, it, it's kind of by design in a way. I, I've had a major back surgery, which was another um life-changing moment um, my back surgery was a fusion of two levels so sitting in airplane seats for me is incredibly difficult I get mm. a lot of pain mm. um, and so I've had to bring the world in and you you mentioned platina editions and I'll describe for listeners what they might find on there it's a lot of flowers and actually it brings a few things together I realized that with without the ability to travel I had to rethink and reimagine the things that were around me Mm -hmm. And we bought this house in um, 2016, and it's it's a it's a 900 square meter block in Asquith in Sydney's north. And the owners were both in their 90s and have since sadly passed away. But they left with us as part of their legacy a garden from from 1952. This this garden had developed, oh, wow. and we've got the most beautiful camellias and orchids in that garden and poppies. And so my wife was bringing during her stroke recovery, she was bringing flowers in because we 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 wanted to keep life simple and concentrate on things that gave us joy. And I kept looking at these flowers thinking I've got to shoot these. And so what you'll find now when you go on that site is the most pure expression of gratitude that I have for those flowers and the body of work, which is launching early next year in Willoughby in January is called the gift. And it's the gift because um, the flower is the gift that's really left from from the people before us. And rather than destroy that garden, we, we've we've you know we've left it intact, and in fact we've we've cultivated it further. And so those prints are really really a, a way of being mindful of, of that gratitude. Oh, as you're as you're just expressing that, I mean we there's a there's another play here, isn't there? Because flowers we often give as a gift. Um, or we use them as a way to find the mindfulness in the day and show gratitude for. So the the uh, water lilies is, are just stunning; they're just beautiful. So let's uh, let's find out when that exhibition's on, Chris, because I think I'm going to come in. Well, it'll it'll be on <laughs> it'll be on the 12th of January at this stage. We've we've got to confirm that date. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be in French's Road in Willoughby. Um, right. But more details to come. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to be staggering that over a few days. But the thing about my artwork, and I've done this very deliberately, I've, because it's so difficult to make this work and I do it with my hands, actually with my hands, handmade by hand, yep. um, 
each print is in very small editions. So there might be one version of one particular print. And at the most, there might be four or five versions of a print that I've done several times. The process isn't easily repeated. Yeah. So when I have an exhibition, the work will sell off the walls. And so by the third day, there, there may not be much work on the walls. If I, if I have a good show and sell it, um, the work will come down. So um, I'm very excited about it. And, and it's, it's really, you know, about sharing what I'm passionate about with others, getting oh. it up on the wall. Uh, you you've just given me the treat of the day to, in speaking with you today. This has just been just beautiful because um, I really really love the artistic expression and um, you know having your own site uh, chrisisland.net is a professional site listeners that you can you can jump on and have a look at. You can also have a look at the latest lifelong dream site which is platinaeditions.com. We'll put those in the show notes as well. And also Chris's work with the Pool Collective. Um, but more importantly, Chris, um, you are you have found a way to thrive through all the different things that has occurred to you in your life um, and what you value as precious in your life. Um, and I would like to say to you, if there was something that you there was an insight that you've had recently that you'd like to see if we could share it out for a bit of a ripple effect um, because there's there's leaders in all of us um, who we network with or connect with our relationships are at the core and what you've talked about today are definitely the the relationships that actually help you be the best person you can be in 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 your daily life um, and that is your um, that's your gift to the world as well. So if you've got a little uh, thought or insight, a quote perhaps that you'd like to share, I'd like to leave the listeners with something to contemplate, a bit of a call to action to really think about what it is that they they could take on board. Just be curious about and lean into. Well, I think it's a question of influence, Carrie. Um, I spent the first part of my life trying to be more influential, but didn't really question what I was being influential at. And we live in the influencer era. And so much of that's just crap. Um, you know, influence can be positive, negative, or, or I don't think it can be neutral, but, you know, or it's not influencing. But I realized that that first decade of my life in becoming commercially viable and thriving financially was not necessarily leading to a positive influence. Um, because, you know, influence is the, the, the capacity to have an effect on the character development or behavior of someone or something. That's how it's mm. defined. Mm. So it just says effect. The definition describes effect, but is that effect positive or negative? So for me, I, I think we need to consider the way we influence people and consider how that can be a positive thing. Um, and so my life at the moment is about considering the influence that I have I think, you know, it's within our egos to always want to influence as many people as possible. I think that's a natural human trait. Some people have a better cap on that than others. But actually, you can influence a small number of people really profoundly. So I try and influence my my sons um, in a profound way and have interesting conversations at the table and challenge their thinking. Um, and I try to empower other people and allow them to go on and influence others. So I think that's it. Let's think about the kind of influence we want to have and think about ways to use our skills to to make life a little bit more enriching for ourselves and the people around us. 
Oh, perfect. Lovely. A, lo a lovely way to, to end off our conversation today. Thank you, Chris. Um, we're going to put all your details in the show, in the in the notes. Um, and listeners, if you've enjoyed our conversation today with Chris Island, pop on to your favourite podcast platform. I'm going to give myself a plug here because we all like a little bit of love. Just you like deserve a plug, Carrie. You, this has been <laughs> wonderful. You're very generous. Ah, my pleasure. Um, I'm just curious because I believe there are just so many incredible people out there and together this is what our world needs right now. We need a, need a, a ripple effect um, to actually make the world a better place and a place that is more um, focused on each other, on kindness, on respect and on generosity. And I think uh, we can do that. It's I think it's the time is right. Um, so that's that's what I think. So listeners, give us a little bit of love. Thriving Matters podcast. Um, and if you think we're we're great, make sure you refer us to a few friends and family or into your networks. Um, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out any of our episodes because we're coming up to nearly 100 episodes. So I'm pretty chuffed about that as well. So Chris, many, many thanks for today. It has been delightful to have a conversation with you. I'm definitely coming 12th of January. I'll bring a gaggle of geese with me and um, we will have some fun at the same time. So don't forget to uh, to let me know when that's on. So listen. Thanks, Karen. It's been absolutely oh. wonderful. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. So tune into our next episode. But before you do that, just remember you are precious and your thriving matters. Make sure you shout out to someone that you love and know today and tell them just that. Bye for now. Thanks again, Chris. Thanks, Carrie. I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters. <laughs>